You're listening to All The Best. I'm Maddie McQueen. I'm in my mid-twenties and trying to feed myself kind of feels like a chore. It's this boring, endless cycle of trying to be the type of person who meal plans and then giving up again and getting another home delivery. But there was once a time when food would appear on my plate and in my lunchbox every day, and the kitchen seemed like a magical and mysterious place. This week, we're trying to bring that feeling back. In our first story, Hannah Pembroke talks about a book that I'm very familiar with, the Australian Women's Weekly Children's Birthday Cake Book. During my childhood, like so many other Australian children, I would pull that book off the shelf and agonise over which cake captured my essence this year. Who was I going to be at age eight? Would I be the duck with the potato chip bill? Would I be the popcorn steam train? Maybe I could be the Barbie doll marshmallow princess cake. Hannah always wanted a Women's Weekly cake, but never had one until her 10th birthday, when she finally found a way to get one. You always remember the first book that you fell in love with. The first book you read cover to cover, over and over, until the pages tore. For some, it was Harry Potter. For others, a Roald Dahl classic. The obnoxious liars amongst us will mention Tolstoy. For me... It was the Women's Weekly Children's Birthday Cake Recipe Book. There was the sugary goodness of the caterpillar cake, the fuzzy koala cake, and the holy grail of cakes. The swimming pool cake, complete with chalk malt sticks and lime jelly. I devoured that book. Literally, my mother often caught me licking the pages. But as much as I loved it, I'd never actually had one of these cakes. Because I'd never had a birthday party. You see, I was homeschooled. I wasn't just homeschooled either. I was homeschooled on a tiny boat, sailing around the world, just my mum, my dad, my sister, and the Pacific Ocean. Why? I don't know. Because my parents were a bit weird or maybe on the run. Could be either, could be both. It was because of this nautical living situation that I had never had a birthday party. Not a real one with party bags and friends that aren't related to you. For most of our lives, my sister and I were each other's only party guests. Which was fine, except that my big sister's idea of a party game was convincing me that if I jumped overboard, maybe I could meet a mermaid. No party meant no fancy cake. As my mum would say, you simply don't make a Women's Weekly children's birthday cake if you're not having a party, because it would mean someone would have to find all the ingredients on a remote Pacific island, and someone would have to lug them back to the boat, and that same someone would have to cook an extravagant recipe in a kitchen the size of a toilet, and that someone's not doing it. She's not. But all that changed a few weeks before my 10th birthday. We had just arrived in a little fishing town in Mexico. I had taken a break from drooling over cake pages and turned my attention to our family photo albums. I was flicking lazily through the photographs when I found one that made my blood boil. My big sister, as a toddler, sticking her chubby little hands into a choo-choo train cake. 
a choo-choo train cake that I recognised immediately from my favourite book. The unfairness bubbled up in my throat. I marched the photograph up to my parents and shoved it in their face. What is this? Their heads bowed into feet. My father put a comforting hand on my mother's shoulder. We knew this day would come. She nodded solemnly. Hannah, why don't you go choose a women's weekly children's birthday cake? But once I'd tasted the sweet nectar of manipulation, it was hard to stop. Mum, since this cake is going to be so big and impressive, maybe we should invite some other people around to sing me happy birthday? Now, I'm sure my mother's initial reaction was to advise against finding strangers in Mexico and inviting them round for tea and cake. But before she could protest, I reminded her, it sure would be sad if... No one came to my 10th birthday. Mum helped me make up little invitations and we scanned the harbour, assessing the potential guest situation. Now, it may surprise you to learn that in a Venn diagram of the yachting population and 10th birthday attendees, there's not a lot of age crossover. But nevertheless, we loaded into the dinghy and made our way around the boats. We invited an old lady with three boat cats a middle-aged couple with no boat cats, and an old man with a boat monkey. That's 100% true, by the way. His name was George and he lived full-time on that boat. George was an exciting addition to my birthday party, but I was about to hit the jackpot. As we approached the final boat, I saw a figure. Too small to be an adult, but too big to be another boat monkey. He waved. Bonjour. Nino Sauvage was eight years old and wily. One of those kids that always seems to have a scab on their chin. In the lead up to my party, we became fast friends. I filled him in on my plan to manipulate my parents into throwing me a totally unmanageable birthday party in this remote Mexican fishing village. He smiled cheekily. I assume there will be party bags? You better bloody believe it, Nino. Straight away, he proved himself to be quite the accomplice. Nino was French, in case you couldn't tell from that impeccable accent. And what would have seemed unreasonable for me, he could pass off as French brazenness. My parents would soon learn that he had pretty high party standards. Is there some kind of theme for this party? What are the activities? I assume there will be ice cream. Together, we convinced my parents to move the party from the boat to the beach, which seems logical. But you're thinking about the wrong Mexican beaches. You're imagining the sweeping white sand and crystal clear waters of Cancun. The beach in this particular town was largely used by fishermen to gut their catch and was covered in fish insides, tequila bottles, and most unsettlingly, a whole stack of shark heads. But Nino and I were a formidable duo. It would be a shame to spend your 10th birthday cramped on a boat. We were drunk on power. We got my father to buy a suspicious piñata from a man on the street. My sister was even roped into preparing the party games. We were unstoppable. The morning of the party, 
Nino and I met on the boat to bask in our victory and make paper chains. The safety scissors we were using were proving themselves useless and making a mess of the decorations. Wait one moment. Nino skipped out of the room, reappearing moments later with a huge, very sharp pair of adult scissors. How did you convince them to give you those? I didn't. I took them. Looking back, I realise this was a real fork in the road of my life. I was about to cross the line from manipulation into dangerous deception. And it felt good. We had manipulated our way into the perfect party. Now we had stolen adult scissors. First, we would conquer my 10th birthday party. Next, the world. I stood at the precipice of arch villainy, ready to dive in. But the thing about boats is that they rock. And the thing about adult scissors is that they're really, really sharp. A wave hit the boat, Nino stumbled forward, and we watched as the blade went straight into my leg. Deep into my leg. Like Icarus, we flew too close to the sun. The rest of the night was a blur. I remember a lot of faces hovering over mine. I remember a wet and stingy dinghy ride ashore to a run-down little hospital. No one there spoke English or French, but luckily a small child with a hole in her leg is the universal signal for help. A very young and very apologetic doctor took one look at my gushing leg, another at his desperately under-resourced hospital, and gave us a box of Band-Aids. Apparently, the risk of infection was too high for stitches. So I didn't have a birthday party that year. Because the party I had manipulated my parents into, you know, the one with a bunch of strangers and a monkey on a fish gut speech, well, that's exactly the kind of party you can't attend with an open wound. We didn't smash the piñata. Nino got in trouble for stabbing me in the leg and wasn't allowed to come over. The one thing I did get, though, was a swimming pool cake. And look, my mum's not Mary Berry, it wasn't perfect, but it did have green jelly on it. My Women's Weekly children's birthday cake book went missing after that. Probably for the best. It had led me down a slippery slope. Just in case my parents ever listen to this, I want to take the opportunity to tell them that I am so, so sorry. And I will never, ever emotionally manipulate you like that again. After all, how could I? As a reminder, I have this big, fat scar on my leg that I got as a minor in your care.
That story was written and performed by Hannah Pembroke, with sound design by Ryan Pemberton. You're listening to All the Best. I'm Maddie McQueen. At All the Best, you can learn how to make audio documentaries, essays, and fiction. If you have a story to tell, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com and send us your pitch. We'll pair you with one of our supervising producers to help make your story. Anja's dad was always terrified that she'd set fire to the kitchen. Turned out, he was right. Cast your minds to suburban Melbourne. Little Ange, very, very keen to help in the kitchen. You probably think by looking at me that I was taught how to cook all sorts of things by my mum, who was an amazing cook, my dad, who was an amazing cook. Not what you'd expect. So they were paranoid that I would probably set fire to the house. My dad would run fire drills. We lived, we lived in a semi-detached three-bedroom house. There was only two ways out of the place, the front door or the back door, and we would have to practice getting out in a hurry. We weren't setting fire to anything. I wasn't even allowed to have scented candles in my room. Everyone thinks of Asian dads as being kind of scary. He's like Miyagi, so he's like shorter than me. I'm pretty short, little you know, skinny dude, gentle as, pretty zen. He would probably, he did actually get me to paint the house a lot. Got me to do a whole bunch of tasks. Didn't teach me karate, but he's very, very chill. And yet he was paranoid that we would do something to the house. So kitchen, no-go zone. My mum came from Taiwan and she used to be a primary school teacher. So she was actually terrifying. Uh, She's almost six foot tall. Just, she was the ultimate disciplinarian. And part of being second-gen Asian is that uh, at home, everyone is going to practice English. Because if you don't know enough English, everyone's going to pick on you. And um, obviously, my parents had both um, struggled a bit already with this. So, so I only know how to get told off in Mandarin. Um, <laughs> key takeaway, if you, if you know uh, th- this in Mandarin, ayah! it's kind of like, oh my god, what have you done? So. <laughs> To me, cooking wasn't this kind of, you know, wasn't this kind of thing that I was brought up with and, and, and I got told how to do it. It was always basically dark magic to me, right? Dumplings, spring rolls, all sorts of magical things that, that my mum would like pull out of, like, you know, like, oh, dinner's ready, that's right. One minute you smell ginger and eggs frying off and then the next minute, well, no, stuff is done. That's right. Um, anytime that I tried to help in the kitchen... No, Kai boshed. I, um, I tried helping once by cracking the egg for the pancake mix uh, on the ground. Um, and it was, ah, oh, yeah, get out of the kitchen. So, uh, me being a little rebel that I was, one day my parents were at home. Um, I think I was about, well, I was less than 10. I didn't know very much about cooking, obviously. I knew how to crack eggs. So, of course, I took it upon myself to make a stir fry. So here's the kid. I know how to do all my fire drills. I know where the fire extinguisher is. If anything goes wrong, I know what to do. What I didn't know how to do was cook a stir fry. 
I cut all of the vegetables because I knew you needed all of them, like one of everything out of the fridge. This is this, anyone who knows how to cook a stir fry, just you know, follow along. You know, you know the drill. Um, so you grab one of everything out of the fridge, you cut it all up. Didn't cut myself. That was that was good. Didn't know any like first aid. Knew how to get out of the house if things were on fire. So cut everything up, started, we had a gas stove, so that was fun. I knew you needed a wok, that was, that was handy. Put all the veggies in the wok, started cooking them off. It's all, it's all going great guns, it's smelling amazing. I knew there was a cupboard with things in it, like soy sauce and or again, like dark magic. I was like, oh, this is it. Like, who needs Hogwarts, right? I am right in it. I'm like putting everything in the wok, I'm frying everything off, and then I realised, wait, I need rice. I got this. I got this. So being this kid that doesn't even know how to cook a stir fry because everything's all smelled ginger and egg and then dinner's ready. So I had to fill in the gaps. I knew rice needed to be added to the veggies and I also knew where rice was. <laughs> Second generation Asian kid. It either comes from the rice cooker or it comes from the, from the bin of rice um, because you only buy it by the giant sack. Um, so I knew not to use the sloppy rice cooker rice I knew you needed old rice, but apparently I mixed that up with cold rice and uncooked rice. So I grabbed some uncooked rice, threw that in the wok. So I've cooked up this massive storm and, and of course I've realised that something has just gone wrong. So sure enough, my dad's the first to come home from work. Aya, Get out! <laughs> Parents out there, you could probably take this as a learning opportunity and say, hey, I'll show you how to actually make a stir fry. Here are the things that you've done wrong. There's, there's several. And take you through. But no, it was get out of the kitchen. Fast forward a few years. And, um, and I think my mum was kind of terrified that the more obsessed I got with food or the curiosity of food and this dark magic that I would never get a real job. So I dropped out of engineering. I found that I was struggling with social skills. So, of course, any logical engineer to be, thinking that they need more social skills, thought, let's apply for a hospitality job. Uh, it's not really a logical engineering thing. It was just me thinking, guess what? If I work at a pancake restaurant, I get free pancakes. <laughs> I'm 25 and thinking, if I work at a cafe, I get free coffee. And, and get paid, like, as well, to drink coffee and eat pancakes. And I started thinking, you know what, one day, if I own a restaurant, I can have free whatever it was on the menu. And people have to answer to me. And so I started thinking all of these grand things, um, and then I got my pay slip. And then thought, all right, okay, we're going to calm down. Um, maybe not a restaurant, maybe a little cafe, like little, you know, I grew up in Melbourne, maybe one of those little hole-in-the-wall places. That's, that's kind of trendy. And um, then I realised you've got to pay rent and you've got to pay staff. And um, one of the um, chefs that I, at, at a cafe that I did work at walked out during a breakfast shift. And I thought, ooh, ooh. I'm a waiter and I, don't, I still don't know how to cook to this day. So I thought, I um, uh, better learn how to cook. So I looked in the paper one day and uh, the Air Force was advertising for cooks. This is, this is no longer Kid Ange thinking, let's save up some money and buy a restaurant and run the joint. Um, this, is, uh, this is me thinking, oh yeah, I don't want to get paid $6 an hour to be someone's apprentice and just peel onions for two years. I'll sign up to the military, like any rebel Asian kid would do. 
uh, top tip from young players, run away and join the circus. It's um, <laughs> probably easier to do. So I signed up. One of the fun things that Defence Force Recruiting asks you, it's, it's not like, you know, are you prepared to go to war if, you, if we call upon you, all that kind of stuff. Like, that's, that's fine. I'm fine with that. They said to me, what do your family think about you joining? Because they, they need to make sure that, I don't know, that you haven't been forced into it or I don't even know. So I'm 26 and I lied. <laughs> I hadn't told my parents that I was going to enlist. I um, was impulsively just thinking, oh, it's a lot of free food that I can get <laughs> um, to someday run a restaurant or a cafe or a hole in the wall or a... I've just gone down to coffee cart. I could probably manage a coffee cart. <laughs> so my dreams had kind of become manageable and I had to speak to my mum. I, I had to break the news to her. So I said, hey mum, I'm going to Adelaide. Um, and she said, oh, for how long? And I said, oh, about 10 weeks. And then she said, what for? I said, oh, I'm, I'm joining the Air Force. And of course... Uh, well, this, for the benefit of the people on the podcast, I do not look like a pilot. <laughs> so, that being said, and my mum knew that obviously I was halfway through my um, telecommunications engineering degree and, and she said, so like, yeah, what are you doing in the Air Force? And I said, I'm going to be a cook. <laughs> and she said nothing. <laughs> Fast forward to my first posting, which was Newcastle. All right, I'm all trained, I'm ready to roll. Rumour has it that Kylie Kwong is posting in. <laughs> it's very hard to fill Kylie Kwong's shoes. She knows how to cook. <laughs> so, top tip, if anybody ever gets accidentally called Kylie Kwong before they post into an Air Force base as a cook. <laughs> stay with me here. This is worldly advice. You may thank me for this later. Set fire to a walk. <laughs> The flashpoint of various oils is such that if you leave it warming up and walk away, it will catch fire. <laughs> this is a little fun game that you can play later on on your way home probably as well. It's to find your DJ name. What you think of is the last thing that you did that attracted unwanted attention, and that is your DJ name. So I am DJ Walkfire. <laughs> and I'm no longer called Kylie Kwong which is great. It was a minimum four years. Some people say you get less for murder, but I actually liked cooking. I was suddenly open to the world of actual dark arts and I wasn't just making, okay, I am making up some of it along the way, but that's the magic of cooking. There were several fires. I can assure you it's been at least 20 days since my last wok fire. <laughs> which is great because I've been on long service leave. <laughs> um, but basically, uh, what happened after I'd worked all of these hospitality jobs and, uh, and finally did my tax, I got a giant, giant lump sum of a tax return and I thought, hey, I could put it towards a, you know, a business course, I could put it down to down payment on a, you know, a truck driving course or you know, get that food van started or the coffee cart started. No, I um, decided to go on a round-the-world tour to eat food. And I thought I would visit Taipei because my mum's mum, my grandma, 
she was she was living in Taipei, and I thought, oh, I haven't seen you since I was a little tacker, so I'll go and visit you. And little did I know, before I visited Taipei, my mum had rung ahead, and my mum had told my aunties and my grandma, just just to let you know, this is all my relatives in Taipei. I'm ready to like eat the universe. And she told all my relatives in Taipei, Ange only eats Western food. She really likes KFC and McDonald's. She doesn't want to eat any of that weird stuff. I had no idea, so I rock up to my grandma and speak in vaguely broken Mandarin. The first thing I learn in any foreign language is how to talk about food. So I said, which is, I, like, I want to eat spicy. And she just looks at me and she says, in Mandarin that I can't actually say. <laughs> but she's, you know, her eyes light up and she suddenly realizes, obviously my mum was trying to control what I was eating and to, you know, to control me out of the kitchen this entire time. And, um, and one of the great street food things in Taipei is chou tofu, which people might know of as stinky tofu. So it smells like, I don't know, old socks, like being slowly cooked and fermented, but it's delicious. And I guess, like, if there is one message you can take away from DJ Walkfire tonight is, um, <laughs> is sometimes you try and be a rebel. Like, I tried really hard to get back into that kitchen and 11 years later of, like, actually setting fires to things for money, you can get there, but you might not be as much of a rebel as you think you are to begin with. <laughs> Thanks. That story was told by Ange Wu. It was produced by Johanna Bell. Ange told this story at Spun, a live storytelling night presented by Story Projects in the Northern Territory. You can subscribe to the Spun Stories podcast and find out more about the Spun Storytelling Project by visiting spunstories.net. You can also look for Spun Stories on Facebook and Twitter. best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with Sin and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands. Our editorial manager is Mel Chun, and our production manager is Danny Stewart. Matilda Fay and Angela Moran are our social media producers. Shining Bird composed our theme music, and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and we're made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. You can find more episodes by searching for All the Best wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Maddie McQueen. Thanks for listening.